my name is David Petty, and this is Crossfire. Uh, we're here with a podcast for you. Um, I am a pastor in Colorado, I'm also a gamer, and uh, this whole thing we've started as a effort to reach out to gamers, uh, to reach out with a faith perspective, also with our latest gaming news. And I'm here with my co-host, and I will allow him to introduce himself. Uh, I'm Russ Dornish. Uh, I'm a youth pastor in Montana. Uh, been gaming since I could walk, I think, um, which based on my age was uh, the Super Nintendo. And uh, yeah, two things that I love talking about are God and video games. So, uh, you know, getting with David, I figured let's let's start talking about this and uh, putting this together in an actual podcast slash show. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I was going to say uh, probably I've been gaming since uh, since about the Super Nintendo, but maybe even before. I think the first game that I ever remember playing was uh, a game called Math Rescue for uh, <laughs> my my 386 computer, my IBM compatible 386. Yeah, oh, good times. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's great. We've come a long way since that. <laughs> come a long way. Yeah, when I was a kid, my uh, parents told me that the Nintendo broke your screen, so I didn't play any NES growing up, other than when I was at friends' <laughs> houses. So I was always over at friends' houses, so I could play NES or whatever. No, so that's uh, awesome. So we're going to start in today's podcast with uh, the latest news, whatever's happening in the world. Russ and I have kind of handpicked from a few different sources. We'll tell you the source and the author, read a little bit of the news, and then we're going to talk about it. We'll transition through a bunch of those, uh, and then we're just going to have a good conversation. So Russ, uh, do you want to start off? You want me to start us off with our first yeah. news article? Uh, let me start off because this one kind of, I think, ties to a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about. But um, so the first article I have is from the New York Times, and the title is Gaming Sales Are Up, But Production Is Down, um, and it is written by Jason Schreier, um, and it's probably what all of us have been thinking, which is um, everybody's buying games, playing games more than ever, but um, this quarantine is going to have a long-lasting effect on the gaming industry that is negative um, here in a little bit, so we are going to hit a gaming lull. Um, and a lot of the discussion and talk in the article is about the fact that um, since people started working from home, it's not just the production side of things that's going to be um, seeing a decline, which a lot of people have talked about of just being able to create physical discs and get them out to um, consumers. It's the idea that as this goes on and people are working from home, the production side of things are really taking a hit. People are not able to do the same stuff. Um, that they were before and honestly they're ending up having to burn out to keep up with the work and demand that they have normally so we could be seeing a uh, very bad time in the gaming industry coming up for a lot of the games yeah so um, you're talking about production versus productivity that uh, yeah. that your game developers are not able to be productive at home I know uh, I've got a good friend who works at Google and they were saying, you know, once you take away the, the free food and free bus and free everything, uh, and then you add back in your family uh, in that mix, you know, it's surprising how much less stuff you can get done than when you're uh, on site on campus 20 hours a day with all you can eat buffet, you know? Well, and that's one side of it, but then, you know, so obviously the biggest the biggest culprit of this that started this whole talk was The Last of Us 2 being delayed. Um, and that has kind of started a trickle-down effect that I don't think people are realizing is going to happen. Um, the Last of Us wasn't just delayed because it wasn't ready to be released. It wasn't just delayed because, you know, they're having issues. Um, even though it's already been delayed two times before this, uh, it's something completely different, and I think it's going to continue down. I think games that we see coming out in the fall are probably not going to come out in the fall. Um, wow. So games like The Avengers, uh, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, oh, yeah. don't hurt me I, so bad. It's it's not going to look good. I just I would be very shocked if we see a lot of those games in 2020 and they aren't pushed back to 2021, depending on what happens. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's we're going to see that with all media. And I think Hollywood, TV, oh. you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see who's able to produce media uh, in the coming years. And uh, I don't know. It's an interesting world we're going to live in. But uh, that kind of let me piggyback off of that and jump into my next article, 
which is uh, from GameSpot by Jeremy Winslow, posted on April 21st. Uh, and it says, people are spending way more money on games in the U.S. during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, according to this, the NPD group has revealed some new statistics about video game industry, concluding that spending on accessories, hardware, and software in March 2020 has increased by 35% in the past year. This brings total revenue up to $1.6 billion, the most spent on video games in a March uh, month since March 2008's $1.8 billion it says the marketing research firm split the numbers by category. Uh, so then it goes on to say that, uh, despite the uptick in sales, however, year to date spending in video games declined by 3% to 905 million and year to date spending across gaming accessories, hardware, and software totaled to $3 billion declining 4% when compared to last year. So I think this is an interesting, uh, uptick in video game sales, just like you were talking about. Uh, lots of people spending their time playing video games, buying video games. Um, but as we'll find out later in some of our news, not everybody's able to get their hands on what they want. No, and that is definitely true. It's something we've talked about before even coming on this was just that things are starting to be scarce um, around everywhere in the gaming industry just because people are so desperate to buy um, games. Um, and And I don't know. It's... It's been hard. It's been really hard. Um, there's there's a decent amount of new games coming out, but I mean, at least this time is helping with the backlog. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, do you want me to jump into the next one or you want to jump into the next one? Uh, what do you got with the next one? So I've got uh, that Nintendo is ramping up their production so that you can finally buy a Switch. Which uh, perfect. Like we are just talking about lots of people out there playing video games. I know myself, uh, my wife and I have been playing some Animal Crossing. Uh, nice way to just pass the time. Very peaceful, right? This is not like, uh, you know, the world's out there dealing with this global pandemic. Let's get inside and deal with the pandemic. Uh, have not been feeling like playing Division too much lately. But uh, Animal Crossing, you know, talking with cute animals, fishing, building your home. Uh, it's been very peaceful and fun. But a bunch of my friends are saying they can't get their hands on a Nintendo Switch. So this article comes from digitaltrends.com, written by Will Nicole on April 21st. And it says, Nintendo is ramping up production of the Nintendo Switch amid widespread shortages of the in-demand console, according to a report published in the uh, Nikkei Asian Review. It says the Kyoto game... Kyoto-based game developer says it expects to produce about 10% more units of the Switch series in 2020, up from around 20 million last year, according to parts suppliers informed of the plans. The report said the company does not make the device itself, but has asked multiple suppliers and contract assemblers to prepare for additional production in the April-June quarter. That's welcome news for people who have been wanting to buy a Switch while trapped in quarantine. It says, as they reported back in February, the outbreak of COVID-19 in China was wreaking havoc on the world's electronics production much of which happens in china this is just like a perfect storm right now you've got an issue closing down the world so production and stuff has to be on pause on top of that you have everybody staying in their houses majority of people losing their jobs and still getting paid technically because of the unemployment help and stuff like that and they need something to pass the time and what better way than to pass the time with games and it's just been crazy to see. I, I know here in Montana, I've seen the, the the third, you know, secondary market of people trying to resell switches. They're trying to get, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars for a switch that, you know, doesn't That's cost nuts. that much. That's nuts. And, for the, it doesn't do 4K. <laughs> doesn't do HDR. <laughs> but you I can mean, play you know, Animal Crossing, which you cannot do on a PlayStation. I think that's the oh, key. Goodness. I mean, Gosh, they couldn't have come out Animal Crossing at the the most perfect time. I mean, honestly, right now, any new game that's coming out um, is seeing an uptick in sales. I just saw Final Fantasy VII is at 7.5 million sold nice. um, in their first three days on the market. Um, and it's the, the fastest selling Final Fantasy game of all time. Um, that itself is going through, you know, a ton of sales. Animal Crossing, um, it's just, it's crazy ridiculous right now but you gotta be wondering how the executives are feeling knowing that they can't get the product in people's hands fast enough right well and it's it's also interesting i was going to pull up the article but i don't have it uh the world health organization of course who a couple years ago came out with the article uh officially saying that gaming addiction was a uh 
an official disorder, right? And so people yeah. who are addicted to games, uh, which is something I hope to at some point talk about on this podcast is uh, where do you draw the line with gaming addiction? Certainly not a uh, thing to take lightly, but World Health Organization changing their tune and saying, what's one of the best things you can do while you're stuck in this pandemic and you're stuck indoors? Go play more video games, right? So like, this is the advice from the World Health Organization. Stay inside, play games. Well, I mean, think about it now with, games that immerse yourself you said it yourself animal crossing it's yeah i mean all animal crossing really is is living out your life in this little fun digital world and you're doing menial tasks that you know people don't want to do in real life uh on top of that think about like vr right now i mean how huge is vr right now for people that have it at home that can use it to go visit places that they were supposed to travel to or you know meet with people or or things like that it's just these are things that I think are going to take off even more after this pandemic. Now, do you have a VR headset? Uh, I do. I do. Okay. I've had the, okay. I've had the PlayStation VR since launch. Um, nice. Since the pandemic, I have gotten back into it. Um, I, I didn't have it set up even since I moved here. Um, and I finally got my space done and I've been playing it. The bad part about it is my wife thinks it's hilarious to come in <laughs> when I'm playing and scare me to death because I don't know she's there. <laughs> Going like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. She finds it hilarious that awesome. I even she do that. She sneaks up behind you and like taps you on the shoulder. It's like every time I scream the moment she does it because oh, I can't hear. Um, but it's see, been... and this is where I thought the Hololens could be so cool. Like, where did that thing go? Oh, <laughs> the idea geez. of like a, a VR environment where you can actually also be in your current environment. You know, kind of an AR. I don't know. I, I do think that's one of the biggest things that VR has uh, going against it right now is that, uh, you know, for somebody to be in a space, but not be aware of their surroundings. Oh, that's no. just hard. I mean, that's, that's difficult. So it, it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's just, it's a really interesting time right now. There's so many different repercussions and things happening. Um, which if we want to talk about that, if we want to talk about short supply and trying to get things in people's hands. Yeah. Why don't you um, jump into that next, uh, my next, next article, article talks about and we're going to kind of transition into next gen news which is the idea that ps5 already announced that they're only going to be creating about seven or six and a half million units in the first few months which is about a million units less than what they did with the ps4 which by the way the ps4 had some shortages when it first came out so to subtract a million from that and do a worldwide launch there's going to be some big scarcity when it comes to the ps5 um, Microsoft has been very quiet with that. I'm going to imagine they're going to be in a similar boat. I was just going to ask if Microsoft had any, uh, they haven't said any anything. expectations. No, not yet. So my guess is they're just being a little bit quiet until they can get an actual like figure and figure what that out is going to be like. Um, but so we're in a next gen console year during a pandemic. Yeah. Games are delayed everywhere. They're not going to be coming out. Um, what are you, what do you think your expectations so, so are with where, next gen? Did you say where your article was coming from? Uh, that one? Source? No, I don't have that one. Okay. I, I I need to pull that it's one just up. A, but... That's just an abstract reference. Um, yeah. So the um, but right. So we're not going to see Xbox consoles in uh, mass. We're not going to see PlayStation consoles in mass. But you know what we are going to see, Russ. According to this article that I found on TechRadar.com uh, by Vic Hood, we could see PS5 and Xbox Series X games. Sooner than expected. Game trailers, that is. Uh, it says here, we already knew that E3 2020's cancellation would have an impact on planned game announcements and reveals this year, especially given that the next-gen consoles are due to release in late 2020. But while some announcements may be delayed, others have been brought forward, meaning that we could see PS5 and Xbox Series X games line up sooner than expected. Um, can I just take a pause and say, when are we going to change the name of Xbox Series X? Because I hate saying it. Anyway. <laughs> XSX? The the Xbox Series X. Um, um. <laughs> yeah. The Anyway. Uh, so it, it goes on to say that that's according to prominent industry analyst Daniel Ahmad, who tweeted that E3's 2020 cancellation has meant that many announcements and reveals have been moved and that the first proper next-gen showcase will be much earlier. Well... Says, uh, 
Let me let me finish up the article here. It says either way, we can't get, wait to get a sneak peek at some Xbox Series X games, PS5 games, because after all, isn't that the most exciting part of a next gen console? So far, we don't know any of Sony's first party five uh, PS5 titles, and on the Microsoft first party side, we only know of Halo Infinite and Hellblade 2, but there have been plenty of third party games revealed for both. It's worth noting that while Ahmad is a reliable industry source, any rumors should be treated with skepticism. Let's hope we don't have to wait long until this shoe showcase is confirmed whoever is in it so that article did forget there is one ps5 game that has been announced and shown uh godfall was the first game revealed for ps5 you'll have to check out the trailer some other time it's uh it is a looter shooter but with swords godfall reveal okay i will have to check it Uh, out so here's the thing with all of this what is the thing russ we obviously had the weirdest PlayStation 5 semi-reveal with their GDC oh, um, announcement that, that you so, and I literally fell asleep so, through. That was so bad. But again, on, I think it, can I mimic the uh, can I mimic the backdrop here? Oh, my lighting is not working. I was going to try. What and, I want to uh, do is one one of this podcast. We need to have an, a studio audience. A st- <laughs> Just don't move. This is it. Yep. Don't move. Here's my audience. David is watching. (laughs) I can't can't do it. (laughs) So we get the weird reveal, and I think part of that had to do with what's going on in the world. They had to show something. Um, The way that Sony's been handling this, they've just been having to to do detours, and I know people have given them a hard time, but part of it, they said, like, the, the, the new controller they announced, they just put up a blog saying what the new controller was. That's right, yeah. They said the reason they did that was because they were sending the new controller out and they knew it would get leaked. So they had to do something on a whim because they don't have any other way of showing this off. Yeah, they just want to stay ahead of it. Makes sense. So we're going to see that here now in probably the next month or two with both Microsoft and Sony having to put together like videos or blog posts or something with more info and showing the games that they would have been showing at E3. Right. So it's well, and you figure some of these things. I mean, the press kits are already ready. The you know the the media is already ready. The write ups are all ready. I mean, the only things they didn't do were were box up their uh, their trade show you know backdrops and stages and things like that. And most of that's done by third party companies anyway. Uh, Mm -hmm. So sad sad shout out to the third party trade show companies who are not producing any trade shows. Um, But yeah, so they all of that stuff is ready to go it's in the queue it's I, I can only imagine being a developer and looking forward to that so much to like show off something that you have and now that's all on hold and it's like i don't know when this is going to happen do we even show some of our games that we were going to come out in the fall if we yeah. don't think we're going to hit fall i mean totally totally uh left field comment here but i watched a thing with uh, i think it was jimmy fallon was talking to anna kendrick about trolls 2 and saying, you know, here's this like Trolls 2 World Tour. And it's like, hey, everybody, uh, it's available in your homes now. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like, no, there's, no, there's no opening weekend. There's no, like, th- this is going to be one of those things you have to have an asterisk next to, uh, you know, movie numbers. Going forward for I mean, the next forward, year. You know, it's like opening um, weekend sales. Uh, by the way, this was all online. And which was interesting. I saw that. Uh, what was it? So Onward was one of the movies that came out and you could buy it uh, for 20 bucks. When Trolls 2 came out, you could only rent it for 20 bucks. I thought that was an interesting distinction. Totally off topic, but <laughs> that's, well, that's hey, neither here nor there. Media, all the sorts of fun things, we can talk about it all. But um, what do you think your plans are with Next Gen? What were your plans going into the fall You know, with these consoles being launched and... and you know, coming from your perspective, we, we both have a little bit of different lives, you know, and and what was kind of your expectation and thinking on that? I don't know. I mean, I think um, so I come from a PC background, like I was a diehard PC gamer growing up. I, I uh, you know, some of it, as I explained, was because I my parents wouldn't let me have a console. Uh, so I went from, you know, Math Rescue to eventually playing the first and second Tomb Raider and all those other good PC games. A little bit days. of Oregon Trail. Yeah, some Oregon Trail, some, you know, Civilization Four, um, gosh, Solitaire, no, I don't know. Um, but but all those early PC games, uh, Command and Conquer, StarCraft, Warcraft, anyway. Um, and so then 
when I finally, you know, later in life, I was like, okay, I'm an adult now. I'm going to buy my first console. So my first console as an adult was a Nintendo Switch, not a Nintendo Switch, it was a Nintendo Wii because I loved the the Wii Sports. I loved the Wii controllers. I loved the fact that it got me up off the couch doing something. And the Wii, uh, the Wii board too, which kind of doubled as a scale. You step on the Wii board and then you, you know, you weigh yourself in <sighs> anyway, it was great. Um, totally a different console experience. But then later on, I decided I was going to get a real console and it was between the Xbox and the PlayStation. And for me, what it came down to was exclusives. When I looked at the Xbox, all those games I could play on my gaming PC. When I looked at the PlayStation, I could not play days gone last of us. Um, I guess at that point days gone wasn't out, but you know, days gone last of us, um, uh, horizon zero dawn, God of war, Spider-Man, uh, uncharted. I mean, there there was like a dozen games that I said, okay, I can't play these games unless I buy a PlayStation. And I had a good friend who said, I will loan you my PlayStation just so you can play the last of us. And I was like, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid testimony to this game. Um, so I bought a PlayStation four, uh, pro and I've, I've never looked back. So probably when it comes to next gen, uh, I think still exclusives PS five, probably where I'm going to be going with that. Uh, I do like the ray tracing. I do like the Xbox series X, uh, form factor. I think that's neat, but I also think it's not anything I'm not going to be able to get. So everything I could get with the Xbox series X, I'm literally going to be able to get the same games, same performance, same experience, out of a PC. What are yeah, your thoughts? It's it's a tough one. Um, see, I'm I've been console gaming for most of my life. Um, being younger, I would dabble or try to dabble in PC gaming. Um, but obviously, being a kid, it was based on what my parents put together. And of course, no games worked on our computer. I don't know how many times we bought a game and had to like return it because the specs didn't work. So at that point, my parents were like, here, we're getting you a console. We're getting you the games you want. We don't have to worry about if it works or not and have to deal with going back and forth. Um, so I was lucky in that sense. And, and growing up, I had most consoles, you know, depending on what was happening. Um, and since obviously leaving home and being on my own, I've been able to pick up everything. So like I have an Xbox, I have a PlayStation, I have a switch. Um, I would say my main gaming though is on my PlayStation because I grew up a PlayStation gamer. I got PlayStation 1 for Christmas one year, and it was amazing. Loved it. Um, PlayStation 2, when launch happened, I wanted a PlayStation 2 at launch. My parents wanted to get me one, but it was so scarce that we couldn't get one. So what I ended up doing for a long time was I would get together my allowance, and I would rent a PlayStation 2 from our grocery store. What? Oh, yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Grocery stores, like, did I miss this period of time or was it back they in the, had, the period where I still thought rental games stores inside the grocery store that rented you an entire PlayStation console? They had systems that you could rent what? for like a week wow. with games. I mean, next you thing you're going to tell me people rented VHS tapes. <laughs> um, I could I also that tell that you that people rented VCRs. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. They had all of that. So <sighs> I rented a Man. PlayStation 2 for like weeks on end until we could eventually, you know, grab one. Just so you um, can play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Uh, no, Grand Theft Auto. It was all about, uh, okay. it was all about that the Grand original? Theft Auto 3. Uh, oh, okay. Grand Theft Auto See, 3. I played, I did play for PC Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2. Uh, very impressed by the games, actually. Fun. Oh, but, no, um, I played those, but 3 was where it was at. I mean, yeah. that was that was it. But So, I mean, I've, I've grown up on PlayStation. I've, I've The only time I, I did veer from it was the PlayStation 3 debacle. Because as a kid who saved up, you know, lawn mowing money and, and allowance money, and I got all excited for my PlayStation 3, and then they announced that it's $600. And I'm, like, crushed as a child because I'm like, that's going to take me another year to save up right. for. Yeah. And then here comes Xbox to save the day with a 360 for, you know, half the cost almost. And so I ended up picking a 360. So sure. That was a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be day one at least on the PlayStation Five. I'll eventually get an Xbox probably sometime next year um, when some games start coming out for it that I really want. Um, but yeah, that's that's me. I, I love the day one experience. I had the day one experience with PS Four, which is so much fun to pick up something you've never like tried and get it at home, box, turn it on, and get to experience it all firsthand for the first time ever because we don't get that that often now. Yeah. Because of, you know, the internet. So it's so going to be a say, fun year. The thing I forgot to talk about with my 
my experience with uh, PC was part of, you know, I played some games growing up, you know, those, those math rescue games. But what I forgot about was uh, when I got to high school, um, some of my friends were diehard PC gamers and they were playing Counter-Strike and Half-Life and Thief and, you know, all those kind of games. Um, and so at that point, I started hanging out with that crowd and uh, my brother-in-law had bought me for Christmas uh, a new hard drive for the computer. He's like, yeah, I hear you're filling it up. You got to, you know, here's a new hard drive. Next present I open up is like Ram. And the next present I open up is uh, there it goes. Uh, a graphics card. The next present I open up is a case. Next present I open. And so, so finally all this stuff. And he's like, this is your new computer. You just have to figure out how to build it. And so from then on, I mean, I built computers for 10 years after that. Um, and I was just constantly saving up my money for the next graphics card. Uh, all the while, of course, like, you know, thinking my friends were idiots playing on consoles. No offense. Um, cause <laughs> here fine. I am playing at 1600 by 1200 and y'all are playing at your like, you know, 800 by 600 on the PlayStation two. I'm like, the graphics are so much better on PC. <laughs> um, but I mean, we, I used to literally haul my, my physical desktop computer and my 27 inch CRT monitor. And I would haul it to my friend's house in the garage back before anybody had broadband, but we had ethernet cards so that we could set up land parties oh, and yeah. play Counter-Strike together. So no, those so my, are, those my are diehard is the, the PC side, but I've been kind of out of the PC side for a while. Cause you know, adulting and kids and pastoring and it's a, uh, and, and there's the piece, uh, there's the tiny piece of my history where I did own an Xbox, um, an Xbox one S for two weeks. We'll we'll have to delve into that story sometime <laughs> and go through. We'll, we'll we, get into that. We kind of talk time. about your gaming history. Why did I own an Xbox for two weeks? So it'll be fun. Let's transition then from console gaming because my next story Last story, I think what we want to talk about the most is kind of the revolution happening right now with uh, game streaming. Um, okay. Do you want to go there or do you want to go to the ray tracing? Uh, you can throw out the ray tracing with the, the next-gen games. Okay. Because so, it is a little bit fascinating. Yeah. So I think um, – so the, the article I have here, again, from digitaltrends.com, uh, Minecraft RTX ray tracing, uh, the win that NVIDIA needs – uh, and it just kind of goes on to talk about ray tracing in Minecraft, how Minecraft ray tracing is literally a game changer. Um, I mean, I will say as a Minecraft player for a while, I've got a friend who's got a server we've been playing on for seven years now. Uh, and, and eventually, like, we transitioned the whole server, started up a, a Minecraft for Windows 10 server. So new server, same group. Um, but we've been playing on it for a while. And anything that I could do to improve those graphics, to look at the things that we've spent literally years building as a group of friends, but, but to bring realistic lighting, I mean, it would just blow my mind to be able to see some of those things with realistic shaders, realistic lighting. It, and yet it looks amazing building blocks of Minecraft. It, it looks amazing. I think people should go out and watch the videos of ray tracing in Minecraft and you'll be like, Holy crap. I think it kind of tells you what kind of, um, you know, things we can see from, ray tracing in the future i just don't for me it's like i people don't play minecraft because it looks good you know they play no, minecraft no, no, because no. so it's 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 a great add-on it's it's a great way to see where we're gonna go in the future um and and both consoles are touting you know ray tracing as being one of the huge features right. yeah. um so it's gonna be interesting bringing that to the console space because you know ray tracing on a computer is pretty expensive to get to um and so that's that's part of the thing people are kind of weary about because they're just like how are consoles that cost four five six hundred dollars going to get ray tracing into their games um so it'll be interesting to see but i do agree like being able to show that off to people and say you know this is what ray tracing gets you and using minecraft i think that is a huge win because and i think for me it's it's a matter of uh you know, Minecraft is the digital version of Legos, right? You can build anything you want. You can use materials. And to me, ray tracing is the, the Lego technic, right? Like it takes it to the next level. And it just says like, this thing is not just a toy anymore. Like you can build some amazing stuff. Um, and so to take that and say, you know, you can build some amazing stuff and the graphics are like almost good enough that you could, you could render like a, I don't know. It's, it's amazing. Um, and I think the something that's so well known 
Uh, you know, I also just want to say, you know, kudos to Microsoft for squeezing every last dollar out of their $3.8 billion acquisition of uh, the Minecraft property, you know, back in what was that, 2006 or something like that. Um, they've done really well with it. They've, they've actually, I was worried when they took it over that they were going to botch it, um, but I've been impressed. No, it's it's amazing to see what they've done. They definitely got their money back tenfold, so that was a great investment on their half. Um, but yeah. I think anybody could have showed you you can do that if you just you know do enough with Minecraft. Now, do so, you think that ray tracing would be available in the X Cloud? Oh yeah, I think a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, it's the whole idea. It's streaming gaming should be able to get us the best graphics we've ever had for the cheapest amount of money possible if things go right. But things are not going right. Things are not well in how this has happened, which is why we want to talk about game streaming. So the big news is um, NVIDIA GeForce Now, which I have had experience with long before Stadia came out um, because I have a NVIDIA Shield uh, streaming device, and it allowed me to play GeForce Now for the last four years for free. Um, And it finally came out of beta just a couple months ago. Uh, and things have not gone well for them because everybody's jumping ship. Um, so article that I have is from Tech Radar, and it is by Matt Hansen, literally posted 13 hours ago. And it is NVIDIA GeForce in trouble as Xbox and Warner Brothers games leave the service. So the way that NVIDIA GeForce now works is it connects to your library, whether it's Steam, I believe Epic does it as well, Ubisoft, It connects to your computer accounts for those. And if you have games on those accounts, it allows you to play them through the GeForce service, which is weird because the way that it works is you connect to your own personal computer in like the GeForce NVIDIA, you know, warehouse. And it lets you use, yeah, it's somebody closet. They let you use their, their super computer to stream the game to your computer, TV, phone, all this stuff. Great idea in theory. Um, The problem is that publishers are a little upset because they have now started to charge for the service and publishers aren't technically getting a piece of the pie Um, because it's not a games service. You're not buying games. You're using games you already have on another platform, but they're not getting any kickbacks. So that's why these these systems and these these games are jumping ship um, is because so, so far, like I said, just now, um, Xbox and Warner Brothers have left. A couple weeks ago, uh, Activision left, and then 2K Games also left. So four very big publishers with a lot of games that now are unplayable on this service. The nice thing is you're not losing access to those games. You can still play them on Steam and wherever else you have them. You just lose another option. So have you have you at all had experience have you all delved into geforce now yet yeah uh so i tried geforce now for like a day and i couldn't get it to work um it was about my same experience no it was a better experience than my uh experience with the xbox game pass for pc uh but that's not technically streaming but uh i couldn't get it to work at all like any game that was just rough um but no i actually i got a stadia at launch Um, I was, uh, on the beta back when it was called Google project stream and it was just, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, and I was blown away by it. I mean, I played Assassin's Creed Odyssey on my laptop in the Denver airport and you know, I'm, I'm playing this AAA game at 1080p. It's streaming beautifully. Uh, I also found a lot of promise for it, you know, cause, uh, I'm very fortunate out where I live to have uh, gigabit fiber to the curb. Um, so when I bought my PlayStation four, I've got that hooked up to my gigabit fiber, same airport, same Wi-Fi. I'm able to play my PlayStation from home. And I'm thinking if I can play my PlayStation from home with very little lag, you know, so here I am on my computer using a, uh, an Xbox controller, a PS4 controller emulator to log into my PS4 to play red dead redemption Two, uh, the day of launch. And some guy looks over my shoulder and he's like, how are you doing that? And I was like, magic fairies. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. The um, cloud. 
But yeah, so it's it's the cloud, it's the power of the internet. Um, and I remember at some point thinking, you know, it, the time will come when the internet gets fast enough and latency gets low enough that this kind of stuff is possible. So Stadia comes out, Google comes out, and they think, you know, this is this is the time. Uh, and they have a ton of huge promises. Controller looks amazing. Wi-Fi controller can switch from an iOS device to your laptop to your TV. Any Chromecast will be able to stream this stuff. And then they totally blow it out of the gate. <laughs> and so far it's, it's been, you know, Wi-Fi controller doesn't work unless it's wired on the PC. Uh, still no iOS app, still only available on Google phones and now some Android phones. Um, they didn't have 4K uh, that they said they were going to have on the in Chrome browsers. Uh, originally, it was only if you had a Chromecast Ultra and only the Chromecast Ultra that came with your Stadia until they released a new firmware update. Um, a lot of people complained about the limited number of titles. I wasn't so concerned about that because you look at like the PS4 didn't release with that many titles. Um, most game consoles don't release with a huge library of titles. Those titles build up over time. Um, I do think it's it still has potential. The other thing that... that I remember we were talking about was uh, the the long game, right? Where NVIDIA is working on technology. Uh, xCloud is working on technology. Um, PlayStation Now is working on the technology side. Stadia has invested heavily in the games. And I think the question is, can Stadia pull it off when it comes to the actual games themselves. The reason I bought my PlayStation was because of the games, not because of the technology. Exactly. If Google can pull out some AAA games, uh, I think this could be a real front runner for uh, streaming gaming in 2021, 2022. But it's going to depend on whether those those three major standalone studios, you know, Jade Raymond and who was the other person that... Uh, Google poached from... Uh, that would be Shannon Studstill, who was the uh, head of Santa Monica yeah. and one of the head producers on God of War. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you've got you've got Shannon Studstill from God of War and uh, Jade Raymond, known for the uh, Assassin's Creed um, series. I mean, these are these are not these are not uh, cheap people. Uh, these no. are not people who are new to game development. I mean, this is like putting together a new baseball team and going out and hiring, you know, um, Randy Johnson to be your star pitcher, you know, and hiring Tony Gwynn to play, you know, right field and bat, you know, and Ricky Henderson's going to steal the bases. I mean, this is, they are putting together an all-star team, but it's not for this year. This year it's still in beta. And that's it's, part of my problem is the marketing that they said it was a release. It was really a beta. Oh. So Versus it, things like Fortnite and uh PUBG, here we are in like the fourth year of their existence and they still technically claim early release here's where i think they 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 misstepped they misstepped in the planning process of this you know they had they had somebody maybe i think helping out from the gaming space like somebody big like these two people that they've brought in since then and kind of you know how are we going to do this what's the best way we're going to do this with gamers you know it would have been better to start off by saying let's do a beta Let's offer this for free for a little bit for people. Give them one or two games. Let's see how it works. Let's go from there and then do a full launch announcement, you know, and go from there. The problem is that because of the misstep that they had and because of where they're at and because of the way that most, you know, most of the gaming world views Stadia, besides people who love Stadia, who've used it and, and really do, you get this bad, you know, talk about it and it's going through the community of, of other gamers where they're just like this is a joke I'm not even going to go near Stadia with a 10 foot pole because look how bad it is when in fact it's it's a good service it works um, my only problem with your, your comment on the whole you know when systems launch they launched you know with only a few games agreed however Stadia is launching with games that are over a year or two years old that I can go pick up for 10 bucks on my Playstation and play so it's like what's my incentive to play these on stadia you know right. what's going to get me to that next level oh you're going to get me you know awesome 4k graphics and, and ultra settings on the computer that i i could never get with my playstation great i'm in that's what sold me launch day comes we're not getting 4k or anything on it looks the same as my playstation pro on an oled 4k tv that i have and i'm like 
well, what is my incentive to play this in this ecosystem? Right. Well, and I think some of it has always been, my thought behind Stadia has always been that if Stadia can, um, when you look at Google, right? I mean, Google has always played this kind of long range game um, with disruptive technologies, uh, with early adopters who then become the main, right? If you look at things like Google Drive and Google Docs, right? I would say Google Drive and Google Docs are probably the number one file sharing service right now. Oh, yeah. Number one cloud documentation. When it first came out, everybody's like, why, why do you need Google Docs? Like I've got Microsoft Word. You know, but they weren't aiming for the people who already had Microsoft Word. They're aiming at the people who don't want to spend $110 on Microsoft Office and they want to get this free cloud-based documentation. You know, then everybody looks at uh, the fact that you can collaborate, the fact that it's really mobile, the fact that you can go out there and without having a nice desktop computer, you can log in from any device and you can get access to your documents. So, you know, I think that when you look at that, their target market is not the gamers. And so in some ways, I, I even would say a thing that I didn't think about until you were talking is they don't want to use people who are in the gaming space to tell them how to run this thing because this is a disruptive technology, right? This is this is eating the big fish of the games industry. Um, eating the big fish, by the way, book shout out. That was a book I read back when I was in marketing. <laughs> Um, but it talks about like, how do you as the little fish eat the big fish? Well, you don't eat the big fish by saying, Hey, big fish, where are you going? I'm going to follow you and then try to eat you in the process, right? You have to take a completely different, completely disruptive strategy and say, we're going to do something completely different. And, and so when you look at how many people do not have consoles, do not want to spend, I mean, this, you know, the new PS5, the new Xbox Series X, there are people out there who don't have five, 600 bucks to spend on a new console, extra controller, cables, and they could spend literally $20 on a Bluetooth controller and the devices they already have and the Wi-Fi they already have, and then just buy whatever games and they could be playing AAA games tomorrow in their living room if Stadia can get their act together. Well, and I think that's, I, I agree 100%. I think that's where they should go. I think that's 100% the target audience that they need to go after. The problem was when it first got announced, I think they really tried to go after the gamer of play on the go. That's the big thing. You're going to be able to take 4K gaming, unbelievable games on the go with you so that you don't have to have your console with you when you go to a hotel, an airport, all that. Great. The problem is, again, it doesn't work on every platform. Like we're right. missing platforms. So it's not a, I can game anywhere. No, I have, have to game. The, you don't have the proliferation of 5g yet. So, you know, a lot of people are trying to play 4g and they're, they're not, they disabled it, you know? So the yeah. other thing I think is some of the, the YouTube integration. Um, it's one of my favorite quotes. We were talking to a friend of mine who works on stadia and, uh, and somebody asked him, you know, so is stadia planning to do anything with game streaming? You know, are, are you planning to launch any sort of platform like Twitch or, you know, some sort of like innovative game streaming platform? And, and my friend said, yeah, we've been working really long and hard on it. And I think we're going to call it uh, YouTube. <laughs> right. Google has the platform if they want to if they want to attack game streaming. I mean, if they could get Stadia A up and running and if they could get it B with some amazing titles and C in the hands of some of your content creators who can then share that stuff on YouTube, that would be a game changer too for saying, hey, you know, you're watching Ninja play Fortnite. Do you want to play Fortnite with Ninja? Click here and boom, you're in the queue with him. You know, you're watching this other streamer play, you know, through this level on Tomb Raider. You know, do you want to try this level? Boom, you're in the game. And you're trying that level six seconds later. And that was what they demoed at the Game Developers Conference. And we still haven't seen it. Well, and here's here's my thing. And it's, uh, I, I know a lot of Stadia users that get mad when this stuff's brought up and all that. But the I'll problem is just... Stadia, got, Stadia got a head start. They got a head start. Other, other people are developing their own streaming. I mean, Amazon's close to launching theirs. They've talked about that. It's coming soon. XCloud is in beta. It's eventually going to launch. So it's like you've got this head start that you could saturate the market. But if you don't fix what you have and get it going before these big boys come to play, in, in a sense, of the gaming sphere, not saying that Google's not a big boy. Obviously, they have probably the most resources of anybody. <laughs> have a couple but bucks. If, if Xbox launches XCloud 
and say they attach Game Pass to xCloud. So let's say $14 a month. $14 a month. You don't need a console. You get access to Game Pass. And you can play anywhere. iOS, Android, computer, all that. And this happens, let's say, this fall with the launch of Xbox Series X. Google's in trouble. Because See, why, where, why would I do Stadia, that? Because Stadia is free. Well, yeah. Stadia costs... Stadia costs nothing to get 720 graphics. Okay. Right? And and not not your 4K 60, you know, FPS, but, but it's it's essentially the promise is that the service is completely free. Um which brings me to my last article uh that says with its free service Stadia is starting to make sense. This comes from Eurogamer, an article by Thomas Morgan. It says Stadia is now free. Uh, or rather any Google user can sign up for the service and access the games library without having to subscribe to the pro tier um, or the firm's controller uh, or the Chromecast ultra 4k receiver. It says you can get it completely for free. Anybody who has any Google account can go on and sign up for free. Uh, It says here, Let's see. Uh, the big improvement with obvious gameplay advantages, but wasn't the case uh, closed. Even in this ideal network setup, we encountered frustrations. The next day we tried it, and again, identical conditions, and our results went straight back to the high values we had in the initial testing, opening the door to the idea of stripping out all devices from our network wasn't the solution, right? So this is, it just gets back to the thing that I keep hearing over and over again, is people are struggling with Stadia. And when they are struggling with Stadia, they go to people like Google and say, hey, Google, why is Stadia not working? Google kicks it back and says, well, because your internet sucks. And then you go round and round. Whereas with a PlayStation, if your PlayStation's not working, it's Sony's fault. So Stadia is starting to make sense, but still is a struggle. But go but check it out the, for yourself. Oh, no, I, I recommend everybody give it a try, especially with a free right now. Go give it a try. See what it's like. The difference, though, what, what I was saying was, if you attach Game Pass to it, I'm telling you that not only are you getting access to this this online console for $14 a month, you're getting access to 400 games right then and there. Right. Google Stadia free, you don't get those games, and you're going to be paying a premium on those games No, right but Google has, again, this is a promise, Google has attached itself to Uplay with Ubisoft, and mm-hmm. once Uplay Plus and Ubisoft get their themselves on Google... If you've got Uplay Plus, you'll be able to access all of those games with Stadia. So once again, but is I that like going to be it's for a Pro? Question of content. What's that? Is that going to be though for Pro? Are you going to have to pay for no, Pro? No, that that should be. If you pay for Uplay Plus, you should be able to get the oh. 720p gaming experience. No, I get you, but you're going to be playing Google for account. Uplay Plus, right? So okay. if you really want the Uplay Plus and the 4K, right? And this is where all these things start to break down as you start looking. <laughs> start adding up. Okay, so I'm pl- I'm paying for Uplay Plus and I'm playing for, you know, Xbox monthly and I'm playing for paying for PlayStation monthly. And so, you know, you look at it over the course of, you know, four years of console development and you say, well, holy crap, I'm spending like $1,200 so I can have access to this free console in the cloud. I think that's where everybody's going to have to justify their price points. If GeForce Now and Stadia could have like merged and had like a baby where I can play the games I already own on Steam anywhere, I would mm-hmm. happily pay for that with the condition that it's Google's better infrastructure and better streaming. Right. GeForce Now works, it's okay, it's 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 it has its issues, but it doesn't have what Google is doing with cloud gaming. So it's almost like if Google could partner with other, Xbox, yeah, it, I think the other struggle that that Stadia is having, right, that one of their mottos is Stadia, like one place for everything you play, um, is that they're aiming at the PC market and the console market, right? Because you can access Stadia, and I can switch from my PC where I'm playing with a, a keyboard and a mouse, and then I can go into my living room and I can hop on my Chromecast and I'm playing with the Stadia controller. So yeah. that means that every game that comes to their platform, they have to make sure it's got keyboard and mouse support and controller support. So I feel like there's even more of a challenge when you're looking at that. Plus, just just getting developers to develop for that new platform has to be a struggle. Because it's no, a game. That... And that's where we've seen the NVIDIA folks are jumping ship from developing for that platform. If Google can keep people on their ship for long enough to actually get out to sea, avoid some of the rough, choppy weather, I think it could be smooth sailing. My prediction is two years for Google Stadia. 
and that's where they could run into trouble because if if x cloud launches and it's you know this good enough service that has all these people following it and can offer the xbox games that people love and let's be honest and i'm gonna make fun of you know some of the xbox gamers but it's the whole idea of you know that that 13 year old 12 year old kid who wants to play you know gears of war or halo and his mom is able to do that for him for 14 dollars a month yeah you know you're gonna you're gonna end up doing that in that sense but i i agree i mean i think stadia had the right idea they had the great plan all the stuff they promised day one would have been amazing and it would have sold the product to a lot of people the that that botch launch is gonna have some repercussions and hopefully they can stick it out and you know get past that and even if they could become a, a viable third platform i mean even if they could just be like you know that every year instead of instead of the debate between xbox and playstation you know and then like nintendo's doing their own thing playing animal crossing on the side i i feel like we need a vi- a viable third contender just to help push development to push um r&d to push those consoles to to the next level and and, the reason- and somebody that's going to come in with a completely different paradigm and say i'm going to disrupt this whole market I think that kind of disruption is going to make PlayStation and Xbox better. No, it hundred percent is. And the thing is, if we, if we want to talk about this some other time too, on one of the other podcasts, look at kind of the development history of how we got to Microsoft and Xbox today. It is yeah. fascinating to see how they both jumped into the, the space when, you know, Nintendo was so far back and they've taken over the space from Nintendo, but where, did, where and how did they get to that point? You know, it, it came from some backdoor deals and things that almost required them to continue to put money into it. Otherwise, they would be screwed. Yeah. The whole thing is Google has the money. Google has the, the backing infrastructure. They just have to be willing to lose a decent amount of money for a couple of years, like you said, to get into that space, to get to the point where they do have AAA games coming out from their own studios. They're able to go out and buy more studios. They have the infrastructure and, and, and the number of players on their platform but it's going to be a rough ride until then. Now right. the question is, is Google willing to take those losses for a year or two and really drive in and say, we want to be a part of gaming because right. how many people before them have tried to do that and have failed? Well, and I think they need to capitalize on, on what makes them different. I mean, some of the things that like the, the stacking, the servers, the ability to, to make these massive, I mean, imagine if you could put five playstations together and make one game out of that. I mean, Google can do that with their systems right now. So maybe they're developing something. Maybe we're going to see something come out of that that's drastically different than anything we've ever seen before. Your eight-person couch co-op. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's possible, right? Um, anything is possible the, with the cloud. The, well, and the other thing I was going to say, it was interesting the number of people that I ran into uh, when it came up to, to things about cloud gaming. And they're like, well, that's completely ridiculous. Like, why would I pay for a game that has to have access to the internet to be able to play it. And I look through the games library and I'm like, well, you're playing 150 hours of division two. And literally you can't play that offline and you're playing Fortnite and PUBG, and those require servers and you're playing, you know, the latest call of duty and you know, whatever else that's out there that requires this online server thing. And there are no offline modes. I mean, you can't play overwatch offline. No. So, well, I- We've been doing server-based gaming for a long time, but uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk this thing to death, uh, and I do no, have to I get it. here for a, in a second. I think, so, I think to end this, though, I think the last thing would be just um, it would be cool to get your friend from Google back on at some point yeah. and see what he's allowed to talk about and see if, you know, <laughs> we can maybe – it's hard. Maybe we'd have to wait until he gets fired. I don't know. He leaves Google. <laughs> It's like, let's hope not. Let's what happened with the launch? What happened with this? What are the expectations? Yeah. What are your guys' goals going forward? Is this really something that they are investing in and want to go forward? Which obviously they are because of the money they're throwing around. But again, for another time, that'd be cool to have on to talk to him again, you know, post launch rather than pre launch. But yeah, um, we're going to wrap up this segment here in a second. And then uh, hopefully we're going to tag this with another segment. Uh, we're going to talk specifically about some uh, other things. So stay tuned after the break for the next segment uh, for our first podcast here. And uh, anything else you want to say, wrap this one up. No, that I'm good with that. I'm looking forward to chatting more about this stuff. All righty. Sounds good. 
Well, we will see you right after the break. Crossfire! Okay, so welcome back. Um, we're going to go into our main topic for our uh, podcast for today. Um, and we're just going to kind of discuss what our goals and aspirations are for this podcast and for Crossfire going forward. Um, and kind of just talk back and forth, discuss some of our ideas, what we might be looking for. And then our hope is that everybody can kind of give us some feedback after watching this or listening to this um, for anything that they want to see changed, added anything that they kind of see the direction of this going and maybe they uh, have some ideas as well. Um, so David, with you being the person that started Crossfire, what are your hopes and dreams and goals going forward from this point on um, now that we're at this point? Yeah. So I think um, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I want to see Crossfire as a, as a community. I want to see it as a place where people come, they engage, they uh, deepen their faith with conversation with one another uh, I also wanted to be a, a resourcing place, you know, where people who are looking for resources for spirituality, for faith development, uh, you know, looking for news, looking for fellowship. Uh, I want it to be a resource place, um, but I also want it to be a, a conversation starter, kind of a catalyst for some of the, what I would say are uh, the critical conversations around gaming and around faith that, you know, maybe we're just not having it, um, you know, to tackle some of the tough topics that, uh, you know, I think some of the game developers are just now starting to tackle, uh, you know, issues of justice that I think are important to our world. Um, things like, uh, gender equality and, uh, you know, representation of, uh, you know, abilities. And, uh, also, you know, we're seeing like last year we saw the release of the Xbox, um, adaptive controller. I mean, that's huge. You know, the, um, the ability for them to be able to get gaming in the hands of all peoples of all different abilities. Um, you know, I also want to talk about, you know, gaming addiction and balance and, uh, how to balance the positive sides of, you know, gaming that can help kind of distract us from the, the crazy things that are going on in life and help get us through. Um, but also, you know, where do you draw that line between, uh, you know, something that's helpful and, and kind of, a, a provides peace, uh, to something that becomes an addiction and provides, uh, actually probably more stress in the attempts to, uh, satisfy that need. You know, I, I want to have those conversations. Um, also conversations about, you know, what sort of stories are we telling? What sort of messages are we telling when we play certain video games that, like, you know, are the, are the quality of the games and the quality of the content going to inform the way that we live in the world? Uh, and then how do we use what we know in the world to inform our decisions around what kind of games we play, what kind of games we develop? Um, and then also, I think, you know, what are the stories that we tell in terms of um, faith communities within our games? You know, I'm fascinated by the portrayal of faith communities in games uh, with games like Far Cry 5, you know, that, that kind of takes a look at the deep side of, you know, faith community that becomes a cult um, to, you know, some of the other games that that kind of play on the deeper aspects of faith and spirituality. I don't know. What would you say, Russ? What are your hopes and dreams for the, the podcast and for the community? Um, I would say very similar. Uh, I think right now um, there's not really a very large niche as far as combining faith with gaming um, and what that looks like. I think that's something a bit of a taboo. I know working in churches and working with kids and working with adults, there's a very big um, misunderstanding of games and the role that they play in society. And I think as we go on even more and more, we're a generation that grew up on games and we're continuing into our adulthood. And that wasn't really a thing to 20 30 years ago where adults played games. It was a kid's thing. Um, and now as we go forward more, it's becoming more of an adult thing, but then it's also bridging the gap between different generations. And then my whole thing is how does Christianity play a role in that? And what does that look like today? I think Christianity has in the gaming sphere has always had a bad reputation because for the longest time, uh, Christians were the ones kind of banging the drum against violent video games against all of these terrible ideas. And it was like very anti games. And we never really had um, any Christian based games that were any good for one. I mean, most of the Christian games are pretty bad games that came out and they were more of a joke in the gaming community. And honestly, there is a 
Christian community out there developing new games. And I think being able to maybe give them a mouthpiece a little bit and kind of introduce that to more people would be a really fun, you know, way to kind of push our, our agenda. And then, um, you know, just being able to give back, whether it's to the gaming community itself and just show that we as Christians are a lot more giving and loving than I think we're portrayed sometimes in the media and what that looks like for our group. So I think if we do that and we kind of, you know, give back to our community, start that community um, and give a mouthpiece to different avenues, I think that would be a great a great direction for us to go. And it's definitely um, one that is not really existing out there in the space right now. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I want to jump back on something that you said uh, about, you know, uh, when we were growing up that that older people didn't play games. Um, people have always played games. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of what kind of games and what they look like. You know, all the way back to, you know, the earliest games thousands of years ago to, you know, my grandparents that, you know, my grandmother used to host a bridge meeting in her house once a week. Uh, and you know, when I moved to this town, a bunch of people invited me to come out to the the cribbage tournaments and, um, you know, so we've always played games and, you know, I even remember at one point thinking, uh, how weird esports was, you know, the idea that people would watch somebody else play a game until it dawned on me, like, that's literally what we're doing on Sundays when we watch Sunday afternoon football is we're watching somebody else play a game. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, what we value, uh, in that game. And, um, do we look at it as a, uh, purely athletic, uh, endeavor or do we appreciate, you know, the, um, strategy or the, you know, the person and the mind behind, uh, the performance, you know, you look at something like NASCAR, like NASCAR has never been about athleticism. Um, NASCAR is about strategy and, and the ability to maneuver your car in the right area, but it's a person with a machine, right? So, you know, computing is, uh, very similar. I think in that realm, uh, it's just a matter of, you know, we're finally coming to a point where those of us who grew up on it are in the, the age that is mainly consuming and creating that content. Um, and I do think, I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had around uh, Christian media, right? Christian media in general has kind of come off as overly hokey, um, very, uh, I would even say some of the media is too on the nose, right? You know, that they're they're not really diving deep into exploring themes. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, let's just talk about Christianity and salvation and redemption. And it's like some of it comes off like reading a theology textbook um, where, yeah, okay. It might be theologically sound, but it's not engaging uh, in the same way that a, a deep storytelling is. And I think what I've been fascinated by is the rediscovery of the roots of our faith. I mean, back to like the early, you know, Jewish uh, religious scholars uh, and the early rabbis. And it has always been a tradition of deep, storytelling and meaning making uh, and has only in the last 30 or 40 years has religion become about this kind of legalistic uh, fundamentalist interpretation of, of getting it right. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by that kind of storytelling and, and what are the stories that we tell in our games? Uh, how do they relate to the stories we've told in our faith? How does it deepen our understanding of the world? Well, I'm interested in I'm interested in tackling and, and discussing some things and eventually, you know, finding some people and reaching out to people who are creating Christian games or are Christian game developers, because I do want to ask and, and talk to them and be like, OK, so what is your take on all this? Are you going for like a fully, you know, straight line, straight edge Christian experience or are you trying to kind of bridge that gap and make a, you know, fun storytelling game that maybe draws the line on that edge a little bit more and but still also relates back to christianity so that maybe non-christians can enjoy the game just as much as christians can because i think that might be some of the problems is you get people who are non-believers and they get this thing thrown in their face and they're like i don't want that i you know i have way too many options for that so it's it'd be interesting just to find out more about that find out more about what people believe and and how they're tackling that system and I think those are all things that I would love, love to explore um, as we go through this and and get deeper in this. Right. Yeah. And and I'd be curious too, for people watching this podcast uh, or listening to it, um, I'm curious to what the the community says, you know, what do they want to explore? What are the topics that, uh, 
that you all out there listening to this are uh, wondering and engaging and um, you know, where do you see Christianity and gaming? Uh, where do you see the intersection of those things? Um, so Russ, what do you think the best way is that people can get us that, that kind of information? Um, so the best ways you guys can get us that information, we have our Facebook group. That's where the main community happens. Um, so faith, uh, crossfire faith and gaming is the name of the group. Um, so feel free to join. We have a lot of discussion there. I think regularly where people are posting fun things to the walls and you have comments and a little bit of light discussion. We also have a discord channel that we meet on every week, couple weeks or so. Um, that can be kind of fun to get together. And then our hopes are in the future is to offer different things such as, you know, game streaming, people to be able to join us maybe for multiplayer games, things like that. But I think the main one is going to be that Facebook if you guys want to comment there or obviously comment on the YouTube videos um, that these will be posted to and then liking and subscribing to our YouTube account so you know when our podcasts go live. And then hopefully... Um, we get these podcasts in audio form to different podcast service, services so that everybody can listen to it on the go or wherever you're at and kind of uh, come as you are type of thing. So I think those are kind of the best places that we can have that discussion and feedback um, on those things that you said, which I think would be a really helpful thing as we go forward and develop what this podcast actually is. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to say one last thing is that, um, you know, we are, a, we are a faith community. Uh, and so, you know, you don't have to have a particular membership card or any sort of particular, you know, um, background to be here, but I just want to let everybody know that, uh, wherever you are and whoever you are, that, that we do keep you in our prayers. Um, I do think about the folks in our community every single day and, um, and I hope that you're doing well out there, especially in these times, uh, that we're in right now. But, uh, you know, I hope that you're playing games that bring you joy and fun and relief. Um, I hope that your faith development is where you want to be and that you're progressing on your faith journey. And uh, I wish you well. And if there's ever anything that you need, um, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm here as a, a pastor, both, uh, you know, a gamer and a pastor, and I'd be happy to chat with you and help out with anything you need. So I just want to make sure that I put that out there that, uh, that we're here for you. Yep. And so... I think that's going to probably end the first ever first edition of the Crossfire podcast. Um, our hope is to try and get these out um, every couple of weeks or so, um, but we'll see as we go and see what, what the time brings and see how the response is to this. But um, our goal is to continue doing this, whether people are listening or not. And hopefully one day we get uh, a few more people listening and come back to this very first episode um, and are able to check it out. So we look forward to going on this journey with everybody. Yep. We will see you in the coming weeks. God bless. Crossfire. Yeah, get caught up in the